0: Welcome to the Mike Smith Show podcast. This is your one-stop shop for all the latest happenings in B.C. From breaking news and developing stories to giving the big headlines a closer look, the Mike Smith Show is here to keep you dialed in and up to date. Let's begin. We start first, though, with police dismantling an illegal vape ring. Wow, check this out. Organized operation here selling illegal vape products to underage students at local schools in the greater victoria area over one hundred thousand dollars of illegal vape products seized by police in this bus some of these vapes contained nicotine and also cannabis as well have a listen to constable rob winter here saanich police department
1: somebody who's using this and doesn't understand the potency of these things uh... is like, it, there is some dangers in terms of, of having an, a, the adverse effects of THC that you wouldn't necessarily want when you're consuming cannabis for recreational use.
0: Yeah, some of these seized vape products had very high levels of THC in there. Let's check in now with Constable Marcus Anastasiades from the Saanich Police Department. Very pleased to welcome him back to the show. Marcus, thanks for coming on. Good morning. You're welcome. Okay, this is a really interesting operation. Tell me how you were able to make this bust here.
1: Yeah, very interesting indeed, and it was unique to Saanich. Uh, It all began back in the fall in November when we received information that there were persons attending middle and high schools uh, here locally in Saanich selling uh, vaping products to students uh, clearly that were under the age of 18. Uh, Over the next several months, we then began to investigate and did confirm by observing uh, individuals attending schools and selling various vaping products, uh, usually disguising them in food delivery bags or totes or duffel bags, to the students uh, uh, in parking lots, on school, kind of on the nearby the school grounds, and parks and malls, and uh, that all kind of led to uh, to a big um, uh, seizure last week.
0: Okay, that's amazing. So this sounds like it was a pretty large operation here. You say you you guys seized a lot of illegal product.
1: Yeah, we certainly did. Um, last Friday, we did a, a search warrant on a re- on a business uh, here in Saanich. And uh, we seized uh, approximately $100,000 worth of vaping products, um, and that's the street value worth um, of these products. And yeah. certainly it was a, it's a large haul and uh, new for us. You know, we didn't realize how much uh, the vaping pens and the, and the liquids they all cost, but there's certainly a high value and the fact that they were selling it to youth uh, under the age of uh, 18 was very concerning for us.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, kids vaping, I think, is a is a big problem. I live near a high school, and whenever I go for a jog around there or take my dog for a walk, and I, I see kids gathered together, big big cloud of vapor vapor cloud over their heads. like, What are you kids doing here? Come on, you got to make some better choices here. And then you find out that they're being targeted on Snapchat. Is that right? Like these guys were advertising illegal vapes on Snapchat.
1: Yeah, that's correct. So yeah, it was a sophisticated, uh, organized um, operation. And yeah, they would ah. essentially advertise their products on Snapchat to, to youth. And then once they would, you know, uh, direct message them, they would set up a meeting time and location and, and cost and have the product ready readily available. I mean, they even went so far as to bring uh, point of sale machines so they could uh, the youth could use uh, their debit or credit card to to oh. complete the purchase. So certainly it was uh, sophisticated, it, and, and not only did it happen here in Saanich, but it expanded to, you know, greater Victoria area and schools uh, throughout uh, this region.
0: Yeah, tell me a little bit about the THC uh, vape products that were there that had a very high dose.
1: Yeah, there were, there were some of the products that we found uh, contained uh, THC marketed, um clearly and again all these products they were not homemade products these are products that uh resellers would would buy legally and then sell and uh some of the products that we found had as high as 98% THC content which is very high much more than you would find um in recreational marijuana that you would smoke so very concerning that this was readily available being sold to youth and then obviously there were uh, other uh, liquids that we found that contained tobacco uh, as well as but most of the products contained or uh, were were the, the flavor products that are targeted uh, for youth consumption.
0: Okay, now constable, I understand that this investigation is still underway, like there are no charges here, no arrests, is that correct?
1: Yeah, that's correct. At this point, uh, no one's been arrested. Uh, Why the, not? The the, the that's a great question. So the the entire organization or investigation really stemmed from the Tobacco and Vaping Products Act, which is not under the Criminal Code of Canada, so there, there isn't really, at this point, police power to arrest. However, we are working wow. with other, other agencies, uh, federal agencies, for um, many regulations that uh, we'll be able to forward to them that they're going to be looking at that have uh, pretty, some pretty severe consequences.
0: Is that, is that frustrating for you as a police officer that you can't go and arrest these guys? I mean, this looks like a slam dunk case
1: yeah I mean it's it, it's it's unique in the fact that it's not under the criminal code, but certainly the the goal and the, the goal of this entire investigation was to stop this organization from selling to youth and then to remove the product from from distribution. I think uh, as you can yeah. see in the photos and the, and the sheer you know over a hundred thousand dollars worth of product, uh, we were successful in doing that, and if there are any other organizations that are looking to to start something like this up at the schools, hopefully this dissuades them.
0: Thank you for coming on today. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks a lot. Marcus Anastasiades there, Saanich Police Department. Let's check in now with Maria Papayawanu. She is an activist in tobacco harm reduction. She's with the group Rights for Vapors. Maria, thanks for coming on.
2: Oh, thanks for having me. What Um, what what
0: What do you think about this case? Go ahead.
2: Okay, so I was yelling um, but no one <laughs> could hear me because I was on hold um, and telling Constable Anastasiadis, I guess it's Greek morning on the show this morning. <laughs> okay. um, I, I just looked and there there were just um, me blindly looking. There were over maybe five to six hundred thousand dollars in fines under the Tobacco Vaping Products Act. Um, and these are federal fines. There are prison sentences attached to those up to 18 months. Um, most of that product is not legally sold in Canada. Looking at it. And here is what I see. I see that we're creating more and more regulations without understanding the product that we're regulating. And this has been a huge thing for us is that we need to talk to people that use these products, people that sell these products legally to help create better enforcement and better regulations to keep it away from the youth. Yeah. We at Race for Vapors do not want kids vaping. And my bigger concern is that is there vitamin E acetate in those THC cartridges? Were they cut with a, with a product that could actually cause lung damage? And that's, wow. like, here are some of the like I, I'm hearing and I'm I, I want to reach out, say that Marcus, Marcus, reach out to a local vape shop owner, work with them. They will help you. I saw stuff that was illegal in B.C. The stuff is not coming from honest, hardworking suppliers of vaping products. No one wants kids vaping.
0: Do you think do you think, therefore, Maria, that, you know, like I, it sounded like he was frustrated there that there have been no arrests and charges in this case at this point, the investigation is still going on. Do you believe that they should bring the hammer down in these guys who are selling to kids?
2: Well, 100% they should bring the hammer down with the stuff that the hammer can really make an impact. They need to reach out to health Canada. They need to reach out to perhaps, Oh my goodness, Marcus, call me. We can figure this (laughs) out. Um, TVPA. But the thing is, is that they have to find a better way. And You know, I know in B.C. people have been screaming for maybe two years since the regulations dropped. Hey, they're selling on Snapchat. Where do we go? Set up a line. We'll help you. We don't want kids vaping and we don't want more regulations that will keep it out of the hands of adult smokers.
0: All right. Talking about that big vape bust on Vancouver Island, their police break up a a ring of guys who are selling vape products to kids, advertising on Snapchat, delivering vape products to schools. My guest is Maria Papayawanu, Rights for Vapors. Let's go to your calls. Dale and Aldergrove. Hi, Dale. Go ahead. Good
3: morning, Spitty. morning. I quit smoking about five plus years ago, got on the vapey. And now I think I'm addicted to the vaping. Can't seem to put it down.
0: Okay. So, well, wait, but it's better than being addicted to cigarettes, though, right?
3: Oh, yeah, I agree. I agree. But the government yeah. makes them put in 0.01% nicotine on it, and I don't want any nicotine.
0: Oh, okay. Well, how can you, just, can you not put a zero nicotine cartridge in there and try that? It's illegal uh, in
2: B.C. Oh, really? It's the liquid.
3: It's the a liquid. A liquid.
0: Okay, Dale, thank you for that. Maria, go ahead.
2: It's illegal in B.C. to sell zero milligrams of nicotine. Oh,
0: okay. Does that make sense? Is that a good rule or bad rule?
2: I, I think it's a ridiculous rule because they're not, again, looking at the person who is using the product, how they're using it. We're creating a regulation and creating regulations and more regulations without talking to people like Dale. Dale should be there with the Minister of Health or their people. And saying, this is what I need. This is how it works for me. These are my goals. Help me. This is public health, and you can't have public health without the public consulting.
0: Okay, hey, let's go to Jim in Coquitlam on the open line. Hi, Jim, go ahead.
3: Well, I, well, I smoked for 40 years, and I quit in December by using, uh, you know, disposable vape pens with nicotine in them. Yep. And it was that or used patches, and my doctor said, you know, it's six to one, half dozen or the other, but it worked. So what can I say? Four so years the, of smoking.
0: The vaping worked for you?
3: It did. I quit.
0: Yeah. How do you feel? Do you feel better?
3: I don't. It's so funny. Everybody says, oh, you'll feel better and you'll breathe better. I don't feel any of that, but I'm just happy not to be a smoker.
0: Okay, Jim, thank you for that. I'm glad you are able to quit smoking. Okay, Maria, what do you think? Like, do most people, if they transition to vaping off of cigarettes, do, do, does their health start to improve? What What is your experience on I that? Don't,
2: my personal experience is I'm sleeping better, I'm snoring less, I feel that I have more energy. My husband um, quit smoking through vaping, and he has needs less asthma inhalers a year. Um, okay. Everyone is unique, everyone is different, we can't all our bodies are different in our reactions, but I just want to say congratulations to anyone who has quit smoking,
0: whichever way they have. For sure. Nathan in Kelowna. Hi, Nathan. Go ahead.
3: Hey, good morning. Um, the only thing I really wanted to say is in my life, I personally don't care if people smoke or don't smoke. What, what I'm really tired of is when you get these yahoos that depart from, you know, the socially accepted program, and start doing this kind of stuff, and then the government wants to take a look at adding more regulations to your guess point, this province has been over-regulated, you know, in, in my lifetime, and I'm 51 years old. Um, you get, you know, 0.01, whatever it is, milligrams of nicotine, because they don't want kids. Okay, so let's punish the population at large that actually use this stuff for harm reduction, and, you know, let's just make everybody pay for it. So we okay. need common sense. Like, if I may just add, like, it, it's like this car tax on used cars, uh-huh. where they want to add PST just to prevent other people from profiting. Like, it's just a joke.
0: Okay, Nathan, thanks for the call. Maria, we got 30 seconds left here. What changes do you think need to happen? Go ahead.
2: Number one, the government of BC needs to talk to people who use vaping products and have genuine Conversations. They need to engage with businesses and create a regulation that is not a cookie cutter of the deadly product of tobacco. It's about working together. It's about public health and including the public in there. And I can guarantee, and I can't guarantee you, but I truly believe in my soul that if we work and engage with one another, we will be able to find the balance.
0: Maria, thank you for coming on today. I appreciate it.
2: I appreciate it, too. You have a fabulous weekend.
0: Let's talk about the failure of the Nordstrom department store chain in Canada now. As you know, Nordstrom announcing they're shutting down all of their stores in Canada by June, along with cutting 2,500 jobs across the country. Stores shutting down, including the Anchor Store in the Pacific Centre Mall downtown Vancouver. Nordstrom will be leaving that location. Boy, that's going to leave a, a big hole there in that key mall in downtown Vancouver. I wonder what will go into that space. Will it just be empty for a while? Could another big department store go in there? Is department stores going the way of the dodo bird here? What will go into that space here? A lot of of unanswered questions there. Meanwhile, Nordstrom has a sale going on now. Liquidation sale here. And a lot of people looking for some bargains. Now, there have been some people online saying that they saw some 5% off signs at Nordstrom, and they weren't very impressed with that sale. It is an expensive store to begin with, so 5% off, not much. Now, in fairness to Nordstrom, I think they have got some better sales going on. Now, i got George Minikaka standing by to discuss. Have a listen to this here first. Business analyst Richard Southern.
4: The Ontario Superior Court of Justice giving the U.S. retailer permission to start selling off its merchandise. Nordstrom needed court approval to do this liquidation sale because it's winding down its Canadian operations under the Creditor Agreement Act, which helps insolvent businesses restructure uh, to wind up operations in an orderly fashion.
0: Okay, so Nordstrom winding up operations of their Canadian stores. The sale is on. Let's check in with George Minikakis now. George is the founder and CEO of In the Inception Retail Group. George, thanks a lot for coming on today. Uh, yeah. Oh, boy, we got a bad connection there. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. Maybe he's trying to. Know? Yeah, yeah, if you can step to him, maybe step closer to a window or something there. Maybe we can get a better... Uh... <laughs> Better, better cell connection. Okay, let's give this a whirl here. Okay, George, okay. What, are you, what are you hearing down at, at Nordstrom? Like, I saw people making fun of them online when they, people saw some 5% off signs. That's not much of a sale. What are you hearing?
4: Well, that, that is what they're hearing. They're, you're, that's what they're seeing. Yeah. Um, but remember, there's liquidators managing all of this. It's not Nordstrom themselves. So right. these liquidators probably have some new you know, financial uh, agendas that they need to achieve. But what you see, Mike, is sometimes liquidators will wait till they get to the end uh, where you start seeing the deeper cuts. Now, it's not to say they're gonna see, you're going to see 75% or anything like that. Um, I would be surprised if they go deeper than 20 or 25 uh, because it's, it's great inventory, and they probably have b- other buyers who will probably pick it up, whatever's not sold, uh, if they haven't already done a lot of that already, uh, committing it to off-price retailers, et cetera.
0: What went wrong? What went wrong with Nordstrom in Canada in, in your opinion? Like, do you think that this, this is a pretty high-end store? I remember going in there shopping a couple of times and I thought, boy, this is an expensive store here, pretty high prices, but it's a high-end store. They're selling high-end merchandise. Do you think going through this sort of tough, tough economy right now that maybe a sort of a high-end luxury department store is just sort of nobody wants to shop there anymore? Like, what
4: happened? What well, just to keep in mind is, you know, how big is the luxury market in Canada? It's healthy, but true. Uh, we've run, we've done uh, financials on it, and we've seen, we've seen that no more than three percent of the Canadian marketplace can go out and shop luxury goods all day, every day, and then you got ten percent that can buy premium goods all day, every day, and the rest of us all happen to be very practical and pragmatic shoppers. So. You've got big brand names, a big brand retailer who's opened up, who's got a great reputation for service and product, and you don't have the traffic, and you don't have the population. That was one of the biggest challenges for them. You know, in the U.S., they do well. They have 325, 330 million people. We've got, you know, almost 40. It's not the same, and the demogra- and the demographics are different, so... Um, it's, it's been a challenge for them. They weren't. I've opened a lot of chains globally, and I can tell you one of the smart things you do is you really learn to do your due diligence and understand the marketplace as effectively as possible, you know, because they're different in BC versus what it is in Toronto versus what it is in Montreal, Quebec. Um, there are nuances to shopping in Canada, and it's not the same, uh, demographic. It's not the same spending power. It's not the same fashion trends. Um, and you miss the mark when you just try to blanket coat everything the same. It doesn't work. And that's what
0: they did. Speaking to George Minakakis, we're talking about the Nordstrom stores in Canada shutting down. The liquidation sale is underway at Nordstrom. Let's listen to David Soberman here, University of Toronto analyst about who will move into all these empty spaces in these malls. Let's have a listen, then I'll get your thoughts, George.
3: With the Sears closure and
5: even with the Target closure, we actually have a lot of empty retail space in canada it'll be interesting to see what they do maybe there'll be several smaller stores or maybe there'll be somebody else that wants to take a chance
0: yeah i wonder what is going to move into these spaces like that is a lot of floor space down there at that pacific center mall do you think another another department store could move in there or maybe we need some uh, maybe we need some more bargain stores like zellers or Zeller's on the comeback trail here or or giant tiger or a dollar store.
4: Somehow Zeller doesn't ring with Pacific center, but uh, (laughs) uh, I'll tell you what, Uh, I'll tell you what, Uh, you know, it's a great question. The challenge is that three, four years ago, there's always a lot. There was a lineup of retailers who wanted to get into malls and the the developers had no worries about finding another tenant that's changed. And you don't have a lot of department stores to pick from anymore. Um, And, And if you consider, you know, what the person just said was, you know, Sears and Target, exiting Canada and now Nordstrom's, that leaves, you know, a very – an appetite that is very risk-averse now. If you want to enter Canada as a large department store retailer, it's risky. So you know that doesn't – and it may not work. So eventually I think all the spaces will be rented out. Uh, I'm not worried about that. You know, the question is the developer, you know, are they going to see the play for a lot of independents? Or maybe a little bigger boxers, big big box stores, or you know, are they going to hang out and hold out for another uh, another department store? It right? depends yeah. on yeah. Uh, depends on what's available out there. And some of them, there's like Simon's is out there. They really have an opportunity, for example, to be the, the department store for Canada. Uh, but how fast do you want to grow? That's the challenge too, which, right? Which, which
0: store? Which store is that you mentioned? Sorry.
4: It's called Les Maisons Sa- Simon's. Uh, and they're out of Quebec and they've been growing, they've got about 15 stores now across Canada.
0: Okay. Interesting.
4: What about, now what about
0: Zellers here? And it's interesting to see this sort of nostalgic brand. A lot of people remember Zellers from years ago and now they're on the comeback trail opening up locations sort of store in store in, in Hudson's and Bay stores. Do you think Zellers has a chance here to come back or do you think that it's just a nostalgia thing? What What do you think?
4: Nostalgia? Straight along? You know, and my analogy is the hamburger business um they always bring back an old burger they used to sell but it's a limited time only um because there isn't a lot of life to it i really don't see this as the play for hudson bay i'd be surprised if it is um they it's a shop and shop it is not something that i can that you can say this is going to become a full department store they may test it mike and say hey we're, we're doing better revenues we have an opportunity but it'll be a very different market. It won't be Pacific Centre. It won't be uh, it won't it won't be the, the larger malls in Toronto or Montreal. You won't see that happening. It'll be suburban, you know, more uh, more cost uh, cost minded, value minded consumers that will, will will look for it if it goes well. Yeah. No one knows. What about like generally speaking,
0: brick and mortar stores and malls, especially these big malls with these big anchor tenants. It, is that a, a format that you think is, is going to continue to erode and we could see other stores shut down? Like, it just seems like more and more people just shopping online, not going to the mall.
4: Yeah, you know, surprisingly, we still love to shop stores. We shop okay. stores more than we shop online. We do a lot of browsing online, but we yeah. do most of our shopping in person. Now, that doesn't mean that the malls have got, all got traffic. I've argued that 30% of the malls that are out there should probably close down uh, because they just don't have the China traffic that they used to, and they can repurpose them even into high-rises, the land itself. But uh, malls will still be here. Remerchandising them in terms of types of merchants that they're going to be in there, I think it's an opportunity for uh, somewhere out there, Mike. There's another Lululemon, another Ritzia that's being developed, And there's a lot of – it'll be a Canadian brand that will grow and flourish. There's more of them out there. They're just going to go hunting for them, like they look for movie stars. You know, they're going to be hunting for them to find them. And you're going to start seeing that happen. Uh, Canadian – being Canadian retail will – a a retail brand that's Canadian it's going to be a bigger thing Uh, to fill those spaces up. But malls are here to stay. They're going to have to recreate – reinvent themselves. They're going to have to be a little more entertaining. They're going to have to use more technology to draw customers. It has to be an attraction you know otherwise otherwise why am i going in there um and and it's, a, and it's a, it is a generational i mean you know if you're if you're under if you're if you're under 40 i've met people who are under 40 who said to me you know i haven't been a mall ever you know so there's, <laughs> there's a shift there yeah. uh so they got a lot of work for in front of them
0: george thank you for coming on with your thoughts today i appreciate it thank you for having me on have a great day Okay, here we go now with your dog training tips and tricks. Is your dog driving you crazy? Whether it's house training a puppy, getting your dog to walk on a leash. My next guest has been training dogs for more than 30 years. Brad Pattison, he's a dog behaviorist and trainer, author of many books, including Brad Pattison Unleashed, former host of the TV show Puppy SOS. You can find him on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, YouTube, YouTube. Just about everywhere. And we've got him today. Hey, Brad, thanks for coming on today.
5: Mike, how are you doing today? I'm doing
0: great. It's nice to have you on again. So, Brad, let's talk about let's talk about some of the things that you're seeing in your practice here as a dog behaviorist trainer and consultant. And you and I had a short discussion about this yesterday. Tell me about you're seeing more behavior issues, right? And you think that's kind of related to the pandemic and all the all the puppy breeding we saw?
5: Absolutely. A great question. Yes, it's a topic that that is not discussed very often. And what's happening is we are seeing uh, dogs now that are a year old that were actually born from a puppy. So uh, an adult dog gave birth, the, the puppies go into heat, the females, and then those puppies were being bred at nine, 10 months of age, and they were, you know, giving uh, birth to puppies. So is puppies giving birth to puppies, which has caused a lot of behavioral issues with dogs today.
0: And this is big money, right? Like for people who are selling puppies, I mean, you can make a lot of money on that, right?
5: Well, absolutely. I ma- imagine you, you have four females in a litter and three males. You keep the four females, you breed them, you get another 20 females out of that, uh, or n- another 20 puppies out of that, and you're selling them at uh, 3000 to $5,000 a piece. You're looking at some pretty serious coin.
0: Yeah, so there was a lot of that going on. Now, in your experience here, is that creating more behavior problems?
5: Oh, exponentially. Before, I would get a call, you know, maybe once every three, four weeks on a behavioral issue with aggression, anxieties, and such. But now I'm getting anywhere between three to five a week. So it's wow. it's uh, very bad.
0: Okay, so you're you're a busy man. You're getting lots of calls, people looking for help. Let's talk about some of the other sort of common issues, Brad, that you see a lot in in your business as a dog as a dog trainer. What are some of the other like if you were to list like the one or two top top questions you get? What would you say it is?
5: Number 1 would be leash pulling. So, people yeah. are purchasing harnesses and I tell people stay away from harnesses. Harnesses are designed for dogs to pull, take a look at sled dogs. And yes, there's fancy marketing around anti-pull harnesses. That's that's just a scam, that's just to get your money. So stay away from harnesses. And number two, if we're constantly using treats as our negotiation tool, or I call it an addiction, Uh, then the dog is only dependent on the treat and becomes bonded to the treat and there's no relationship between owner and dog. So that's a huge problem where dogs won't listen because they might not be hungry. So they're like, nah, I don't want a treat, so I'm not listening to you.
0: Okay, those are two really interesting points. Let me ask you about walking on a leash there because I think that's very interesting. So you're talking about a a harness. You see more people will purchase a harness instead of the traditional, I guess, collar for their dog. Now, Mm -hmm. is that because people you know, they don't want their dog to pull and choke while they're wearing a collar. So they get a harness instead. Is that why people get get a harness?
5: Yes, but you use the magic word right there, choke. This is what yeah. our, our society is, is leaning towards, like, oh, choke, choke, choke. But that's not true. If a dog is pulling on a leash and it's uncomfortable, it will stop pulling, right? But if you put a harness on, it's going to stay comfortable. So it's always going to to be pulling. Now, if you take a look at the three deltoids in your shoulder, they're small muscle group versus a 40, 50, 60, 70 pound dog. So those muscles get worn down and then there's injury to you later in life. What about
0: a halty collar? I've had friends who had a halty collar for their dog. Go ahead.
5: Yeah. 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 No, thank you on that. Quite frankly, because when you are drawing a dog around the face with, with a leash, and it starts to push up underneath their eyeballs, if, you take, if your listeners take their pinky fingers, put them underneath the eyeballs, and then push up gently, you're going to feel discomfort. This is what's happening with a lot of these halties and, and, and such um, apparatuses that people put on their dog's faces. But what no one is telling those dog owners is, you're going to damage the eyeballs, therefore the dogs go blind a lot earlier in life.
0: Really? Wow. OK, well, I know you'll you'll get an argument from people on this stuff, though, right? Because there's some oh, people who really yeah. think the halty collar is good.
5: Yeah, for sure. But at the end of the day, I'm all about, as you know, I'm all about having uh, a well-trained dog. I'm not about gimmicks. Uh, I'm about let's put the time, energy and effort in, just like we do when we raise kids. And let's raise a, a, a good citizen, whether it's a child citizen or a dog citizen. Let's put the time, energy and effort into that.
0: Okay, let's talk about the treats for a minute. You mentioned giving people giving their dogs treats as as a training tool. So I guess the dog does what you want, you reward the dog with a treat. You think that's not a good thing?
5: Well, okay, Mike. Did did I give you a dollar because or did you pay me a dollar because I connected with you today? Did you, you know, pay your son or daughter $2 because they put their shoes on? No, and it's an expectation. When we use treats, we also encourage dogs to beg, jump up, steal food, steal food off coffee tables, uh, take food from uh, a smoky or hot dog being cooked in an open fire. Now we're going to the vet for another serious injury. Food creates dogs to be bad, but do- but in my industry, the treat trainers. I, I always say a four-year-old can treat train a dog. That does not make them a treat. That does not make them a dog trainer. To be a dog trainer, you have to understand how they think, how they operate. Mm. Food is like the addiction, uh, similar to to crack on the street. Like, you get them hooked, and this is what you're dependent on.
0: Yeah, Yeah. Okay. Well, I I know I've talked to people who say, well, you know, I will use the treat as an incentive because my dog is very food motivated, but I'm not sure. I don't think I've ever met a dog who's not food motivated.
5: No, there's there's a gazillion dogs that aren't, but people, because the industry is saturated, this is the only thing that, that people are going to.
0: All right. We're talking about training your dog with my guest, dog trainer, Brad Patterson. Hustle Up Dog Training is his company. Tons of calls. Jackie in Surrey. Hi, Jackie. Go ahead.
2: Good morning. Good morning, Brad. We have a, a toy poodle that is probably four years old by the vet because he's a rescue dog. Um, he, pro- he lived on the streets. Um, we're having a concern. He's very loving to all the family members. Except in the evening, if he is sitting on my lap, he will growl and lunge at my husband who comes in and out of the room. And we don't know how to, um, we don't know what's going on with him.
5: Oh, boy, Brad. So he's yeah, he's great question here. He's starting to claim you as territory, so I would get him off of any furniture for the time being, only invite him up periodically, and when you ask him to get off, he must get off. The other thing is I would work on a three-minute sit stay and be taking him outside for lots of different walks on lots of different uh, excursions in different directions, not the same routine. Oh,
0: okay. So the dog, oh, it sounds like the dog now has, has claimed has claimed her <laughs> and started protecting yeah. his turf. Yeah.
5: Yeah, it looks like she's becoming property.
0: Yeah, right,
5: right. Okay, Jackie,
0: good luck with that. Mike Mike in Vancouver. Hi, Mike, go ahead.
3: Hello. Yes. Uh, Brad, I have a, a Border
1: Collie mix. I got him as a rescue when he was a year old. He had severe separation anxiety. It's eight years later now. He's nine years old. But he
3: has a fixation on pug any flat nose, pug, bulldogs, boxers. He just goes for them, no reason.
5: <clears throat> so this, typically, this is this becomes a learned behavior where they have been getting away with it for a long period of time. Uh, the the other thing with flat nose dogs and pointy nose dogs is a lot of people are going to say, well, you know, there's this, that, and everything else, but that's not the truth. It's about you also saying hello to those other dogs and dog owners before your dog feels that it needs to protect you. There may have been a situation in its earlier life where it uh, had some uh, aggressive um, behavior with fighting and or you need to. So you need to look at that. But you also have to reassure the dog that you have the situation under control. Um, so, but contact me at, at my email at info at and I can give you more information because it's, okay. it's a very in depth conversation. Okay, Mike. Good. good. <laughs> thank go you ahead. very much.
0: Okay, Mike. You're welcome. Yeah. Lots of calls here. Bonnie in Vancouver. Hi, Bonnie. Go ahead.
5: Hi.
6: Thank you. So, I have an eleven month old uh, female. Golden Retriever, uh, unspayed. Um, she was my son's, but she's pretty high anxiety, so I took over because I have a well-trained four-year-old lab. She will not go down the stairs at oh. all. I've, I've tried everything, treats. Um, our, my bedroom's downstairs, so she ends up sleeping upstairs by herself, um, and sh- then she's really uh, spazzy when uh, we come upstairs in the morning, and I just feel horrible. Okay. Oh, yeah, what are
5: the stairs made of? Are the stairs wooden, ceramic, carpet?
6: And she will go I have like five steps that go up to my house. She'll go but it seems like any stairs that have like a ceiling, she won't go down.
5: Hmm. Okay. But, but what are the stairs made of?
6: Uh, I think they 're wood and they 're carpeted, and yeah I, I put treats on every single stair at night okay, so uh, stay, i w- i get stay wait, yeah stay
5: away from the treats um, take the leash, put it around your waist, and I want you just to walk straight down those stairs with the dog attached. Do that uh six to twelve times in a row and and see what happens. Um, and please get in touch with me because there will be another issue that is leading to this problem. This is the the end result, but there's another issue that's actually happening that that I need to see, and then we can get this resolved. Because the dog is still young. Yeah, you-
6: yeah. And I tried that, but she just gets on all. She just she turns into like a sandbag. Oh, uh,
5: absolutely. That's because yeah. she, she can physically manage you.
6: Yeah. So we she, yeah. we have
5: to we have to reverse that.
0: Okay, Bonnie, thank, thank you for that. I was interested in, you know, your interest there, Brad, and is it a, you know, is it a linoleum stairs or a carpeted stairs? What, what is that? How is that a factor?
5: The reason it's a factor is, you know, when you first get on skates and, and, you, and you are walking on the rubber mat, you have traction, but you get on the ice and you slip and fall. Okay. So the dog... So, with, with polished marble, for instance, that's one of the worst things for dogs to be walking on yeah. because they slip and slide. They don't have the grip because they can't grip with their toes and their pads.
0: Okay, interesting. Let's go to Blake in the West End. Hi, Blake, go ahead.
1: Good, Good morning. I've had nine Shelties. I still have two that I, that, uh, but one dog from the day one, she's a licky dog licks and licks and licks the only thing i could think of that she wants to own me or be possessive would that be the problem
5: well you sound like a guy that, that should be owned or possessed over a little bit hey eh? <laughs> he's probably a good guy but a lot of dogs just love so a lot of dogs very much enjoy to be very affectionate my dog rocket she's an australian shepherd she's very licky as well um, her best, one of her best mates, Griffin, he's very licky, whereas other dogs aren't. So it's just a, a, it's a personality trait in the dog. And it's not something that is a, is something that you can train out of a dog, because this is one of, one of the things that they need to do to explore, touch and feel and smell and uh, understand who this person is. And also by showing affection.
0: Would would you therefore say, Brad, that that is a behavior you would just have to tolerate?
5: Well, you can tolerate it, but you can also guide it a little bit by saying, okay, Rocket, just leave it alone, or Griffin, no more kisses, thank you. And then they're like, right. okay. So you can actually give them a command, if you will, um, or a request, and then they will adhere to it.
0: Okay. Larry in Maple Ridge. Hi, Larry. Go ahead.
5: Hey, hi. I uh, just want to thank guests. You You're... Backing up a lot of the
3: stuff I've been trying to show people around here, too, with uh, the Halty and the harness, get rid of them. Um, yes. Too, a yes. Quick question. What do you feel about dogs on your bed? <laughs> it's a okay, bit a- so,
5: no, this is a brilliant question, and, and and it covers a huge spectrum, so I'll be quick. They can be on your bed if your dog is trained, but if they are, if they are choosing your bed as its property, then that's bad. If you know, you're know you single and then you get a mate in bed and now the dog gets jealous and they lash out and they attack the person. So this is bad. The bed is, should not be your dog's domain. That should be the person's domain. And too many people put their dogs into their bed right away and want to do all this touchy feely weird stuff. And I always tell people <laughs> step away from that for now. And once the dog is trained, if you invite the dog up, fine. But when you say get off, it gets off.
0: Okay. So don't start like from puppy mode, have the dog in the bed right no, off the God bat. No. Okay. Okay. No. Mike,
5: listen, Mike, there are so many people uh, just before Christmas, there's a gentleman that had his nose removed from his face because the dog was always on the bed and always laying on on his wife's chest. And these bite situations that are happening are more and more and more because there's this humanization component that is so harmful to dogs. It's terrible.
0: Okay, squeeze in one more call. Andrew in Maple Ridge. Hi, Andrew. You got about 30 seconds here. Go ahead.
5: Okay, great. This has been a great segment. I was wanting to know
3: about, I'm looking for a dog again, and breed-specific behaviors in so much as herding dogs,
5: uh, guardian dogs. And my understanding about terriers is they're finishers. They're more, you know what I mean? Like they're, all the behaviors are seen in wolves, and each behavior that's specifically bred into something is a portion of what a wolf would do. And are terriers, like, more dangerous? Because they're kind of like finishers, rat dogs rat dogs no that, that's a hard stop um, no and it's a hard no uh, number one when we look at breeds um, breeds are very limited so you want to look at the personality of what you're dealing with number one number two um, there are a tremendous amount of different terriers out there so it depends on what you're looking at um, I know numerous terriers that have no interest in chasing a rat, a mouse or anything like that. And then I know others that are, that love to, uh, dig up bowls and, and go for it. So it's, it's a mixed bag of information and I don't want to be rude to you and, and short, short change you on this answer, but could you please email me, um, at info at hustle because I would love to give you more information on this. So okay. That will be more factual for you. Brad,
0: thank you for today. We got more calls coming in. We had a ton of calls. We'll just have to have you back. Thank you for coming on today, though. I appreciate it. All
5: right.
0: Thank you, Mike. And thank You you to everyone else. All right. Here we go now with marketing junk food to kids. Now, we know that's been going on since forever. The big food conglomerates, they know how to appeal to children. Whether it's unhealthy fast food or breakfast cereals that are like massive sugar bombs. But check this one out now. Marketing unhealthy food to kids in the supermarket checkout. Have you ever noticed that? Who hasn't? You're standing there in the checkout aisle. And yeah, the chocolate bars are right there. You start to weaken. Boom, you're done. In my case, I'm reaching for that coffee crisp, which to me is the best chocolate bar but for kids, though, this is marketed at kids, too. Brand-new study out on this, commissioned by the Heart and Stroke Foundation. Now, I've got Dr. Leah Miniker standing by to discuss. Have a listen to this here first. Some cities are taking action on this. In Berkeley, California here now, they have brought in some new local bylaws, not allowed to market unhealthy food choices at the checkout at the point of sale have a listen to this report cbs news san francisco
2: last night the berkeley city council unanimously passed the healthy checkout ordinance the first in the world to require that food right near the cash register be healthy choices
5: starting next march stores larger than twenty five hundred square feet must have only wholesome food for you to look at while waiting to check out one of those stores is meteora they say the last-minute shopping impulse is real We've noticed people tend to uh, purchase uh, that which is accessible to them at the last minute before they're about to pay out of impulse or just out of uh, visually being, uh, you know, attracted to the product or to being hungry or whatever the situation may be.
0: I think the situation is I'm waiting in line to pay $100 for my one bag of groceries and... uh... I see those uh, I see the candy there, and you just make that bad decision. Let's discuss now with my guest, Dr. Leah Miniker, Associate Professor, University of Waterloo, author of this new report from Heart and Stroke. I'm very pleased to welcome Dr. Miniker to the show. Thank you very much for coming on today.
7: Thanks for having me.
0: Okay, so let let's define our terms here. first of all, when we talk about the the point of sale here, we're talking about when you're standing, you're standing right in the checkout by the cash register, and what do you see? You, you typically see the stuff displayed there, right?
7: I mean, that is a big part of it. The checkout is a really important uh, place to be in stores where you are making those impulse decisions. Um, but we actually, in our study, we looked at a very broadly kind of what is happening both right before you get into the store um, and restaurant and also while you're there. What kinds of cues are you seeing in the environment? What kinds of marketing tactics are companies using to specifically target our kids?
0: Oh, wow. Okay, That's that's very interesting. So let's talk about that. So I know you've identified a lot of these, right, in a lot of different stores. Tell me about your study, how you did this.
7: What we did, we looked at, uh, there were three different studies we did. We did um, 11 different regions across Canada in eight different provinces and two territories. We looked at both rural and urban areas. And again, like the north, um, we looked at Whitehorse and um, Yellowknife. And what we did is we went into over 2,100 restaurants and over 800 stores and took over 6,500 photos uh, and kind of just looked at exactly what was going on. So we looked at, for example, island displays, which are standalone displays, which are often marketed to kids, either through cartoon characters, branded characters, language that's appealing to them, design that's appealing to them. Um, we looked at, like you said, checkout aisles. We, looked, we took photos of exterior and interior advertisements. Um, yeah, so we did a whole bunch of stuff to kind of get a very comprehensive view of what's happening in both stores and restaurants across Canada.
0: Okay, that's really interesting. Now, people will be familiar with a lot of these tactics that they've seen. Like, I'm just thinking about the breakfast cereal aisle, right? When you see all the, you know, lucky charms, you know, what kid doesn't want to eat marshmallows for breakfast? I mean, this is this is great, but they always use like cartoon characters, bright colors, right? This is well, obviously it's a, attractive to kids, correct?
7: Exactly. It's very attractive to kids and in ways yeah. that a lot of adults. So the, the cereal is a really great example that I think a lot of parents will recognize. Sure. Um, and but it's so much more than just that. And also really interesting, one thing that wasn't around when we were kids was that all of the social media marketing kids are exposed to by food industry companies, kids will sort of file that away for later when they're in a store or in a restaurant, you know, with their friends or with their families, and they'll remember and that kind of just builds that brand awareness so that it's even more kind of insidious than we might recognize.
0: You're right. And does that now trigger the, you know, mom and dad kind of pestering that goes on like, Hey, mom and dad, please buy this cereal. Please buy me this candy. You know, you start, this is how, I mean, it's the parents are making the decision to buy this stuff for their kids, right? But the kids are, are pestering them.
7: Yeah, exactly. So that's what we would call pester power. And it's yeah. that it's a very kind of intentional thing that the food industry tries to cultivate with kids so that you know one of our major findings but there were there were nine on average in stores, nine child appealing island displays per store. So if you can imagine walking into, you know, a store and saying no to your kid already nine or 10 or sometimes 15 times And then they get you at the checkout aisle, like when you've used up all your willpower already, when you've said no 15 times already. And then it's the final last thing that's displayed, you know, lots of colorful packages right at the kid's eye level. Um, If they're sitting in the cart, it's often within reaching reaching, uh, grasp for them. So yeah, I mean, there's so many opportunities. And uh, to say no, and it's, it gets harder the more you do it because you're just constantly yeah. saying no, no, no.
0: Mm-hmm. Right, right. And, for, and I've heard it described too as, and this was interesting when I heard this, the power wall display, like the display of candy or chocolate bars or whatever, the power wall, very colorful, appealing, enticing. And I remember when there was there were movements in Canada to restrict the marketing of cigarettes and tobacco and these talk about the power wall, that you'd see in a store of, you know, a big wall of cigarettes. And now, you know, we, we're, you're required to cover that up? Now you can't have that anymore. Does the same thing happen with unhealthy food choices, particularly at that point of sale at checkout aisle?
7: Yeah. So, I mean, we don't exactly know. So ours was actually the first study to uh, to look at, to kind of classify it as a junk food power wall. But with tobacco, we do know that from lots and lots of research that toba- the way that tobacco wall- walls worked or the power walls worked with tobacco was that they made kids think that smoking was way more common than it actually was because it was right there and they saw it and there were so many different varieties of cigarettes. And so, it enticed them, it made them more susceptible to start smoking, and it made those, it kind of changed the social norms in their head. And so we don't know exactly yet what the impact of junk food power walls are on kids' kind of perceptions or, or risk of buying, you know, junk food or, or engaging in unhealthy dietary practices. But um, I would expect it would be pretty similar.
0: Talking about targeting kids with unhealthy food marketing with my guest, Dr. Leah Miniker, University of Waterloo. Why is this important? Like, are we seeing more child obesity in Canada?
7: So we do know that I mean, dietary risks. So you know, unhealthy diets are the leading cause of global morbidity and mortality. So that's illness and death, um, and it's one of the most important causes in Canada as well. So this is this is a huge problem. Um, our diets on the whole, are don't really align with healthy eating recommendations. Um, and part of that is because the environments in which we find ourselves and where we're making food choices aren't supportive of our health. So in restaurants, for example, we found that over f- there were 50 times more um, unhealthy kids' meals than there were healthy ones. And over oh. half of kids' menus that we looked at included automatically included an unhealthy drink with a kids' meal purchase. So for context, a small pop can have 40 grams of sugar. So that's like 10 extra teaspoons of sugar for your kid at no extra cost to you. So these are the kinds of environments where we're like, okay, yeah, I'm going to go and I'm going to make a healthy choice for my kid, or I'm going to encourage them how to eat healthy in restaurants. And you you actually can't because there's nothing healthy available. And then there's not to mention there's like, You know, 13 percent of the restaurants we looked at also offered a free toy or giveaway with a meal purchase. So we're giving them, you know, can't like toys to eat unhealthy foods.
0: (laughs) Oh man, okay, yeah, there there is pretty is pretty smart and devious the way the way the marketing happens. But we're surrounded by this. I I think for a lot of the listeners, we're listening to this saying, yeah, we, we know this. We can see this. But here's the question, though: What do we do about it? Now, we we heard in that clip there from San Francisco, the city of Berkeley, California, there in the Bay Area, actually brought in a local bylaw. You're not allowed; you must display healthy food choices in the supermarket checkout aisle. Do you think, like, government should do that? Is there a role from government here to step in and with some similar laws?
7: I mean, I think there's a role for all of us to play whenever we talk about keeping our kids healthy. So I think the role of government, and they're already debating this at the federal level about how are we going to regulate marketing to kids? Cause we know that it's insidious, they don't understand it and they're affected by it and negatively impacted by it. And that's not fair. And so one of the reasons for our study was, you know, a lot of their regulations globally talk about um, broadcast media re- restrictions or you know print media, those kinds of things. And a lot of them miss that point of sale marketing. So we kind of wanted to look at what what actually is there in the point of sale space that kids are being exposed to. And then the government can do with that information what they will. Um, I think there's probably a role for grocery stores themselves to play. And a lot of them have in terms of like healthy checkout policies where they've done that abroad as well, where the grocery stores will say, you know what, okay, parents, this is the aisle you go down if you don't want your kid bugging you for chocolate. And instead, we'll put, you know, batteries and scotch tape and other things (laughs) that are not food. Um, But then there's also roles, of course, for parents and kids to play in becoming aware of, you know, what's happening and and because they're going to be marketed to their whole lives. And so it's good, you know, teaching your kids how to be responsible about what they eat and that kind of stuff. But I think the government's role is in helping kind of level the playing field for parents to make it easier for parents to make the healthy decisions for their kids when the kids are too young. Um, Okay. So it's about, you know, like it's, yeah, we can't compete. It's hard as a parent to compete against the power of like multi-billion dollar industries who are specifically targeting your kids.
0: For sure. Very intriguing study. Thank you very much for coming on today. I really appreciate it.
7: Thanks for having me.